You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It's so good to see everybody here. I know that many of you, well, I'm pretty sure most everybody has some place, something to do, and that's, I think that's great. But I want to commend you for making it a priority to be here on this Christmas Eve service, one of our two. And uh, I'm going to share a few thoughts on this Christmas Eve regarding the story of Christmas. And I will tell you, it's always a challenge because it is something that you preach about every year. And uh, there's a lot of cliches and things that you see on signs and Christmas cards and all those kinds of things. And I'm just going to tell you as a preacher, you're like, oh, man, I got a Christmas card. And that was one of my points. So now I'm going to have to make some changes and adjustments. It wasn't as novel as I thought. Hallmark had captured the thing. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, how many know what plagiarism is? Plagiarism is when you steal somebody else's material without giving it appropriate credit. So I'm actually going to tell you, I had a a friend of mine who was a, a Christian psychologist, really, really great man, had a huge influence on my life and my wife's life. And, uh, it was always interesting to go to the scripture and, you know, of course, for me, I have a particular mindset, as, and other people have different And you see the Scripture through a particular lens. But he was a Christian psychologist, and he would always look at these stories radically different than what everybody else, because he was looking at it from the standpoint, oh, these people are imperfect, they need help, they need counseling. How many know the people in Scripture, other than Jesus, were all imperfect? And most of them probably did need counseling. Because we read about some of the choices and decisions that they made and some of the complications that set it. So he just had a way of just reading a story and going, oh yeah, do you notice this? Do you notice that? And you would go, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, you know, but you'd go, yeah, I didn't see that. So I'm actually giving you some things that he had, has relayed over the years uh, that we've picked up that's invaluable. And I think it's interesting to look at how he saw God's choices and and Mary and Joseph choices. So we're going to look at this this evening real quick. Number one is this. What you see in the Christmas story is this. God kept his promises. What was that promise? All the way back in Genesis, it tells us, and it's, uh, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will strike his heel. And so this has been the age-long battle is this. Ever since then, the human race has been divided about whether to obey or whether to disobey God. That's been the age-long battle. But you notice in the Scripture, it talks about this phraseology. There's a difference, do you notice, between crushing your head and striking your heel. I don't know about you, I'd rather be struck in the heel. Because being crushed in the head has a way of being fatal. Your heel, you may just feel like you're dying, but you're not. Okay, And what you notice is this, God promised that the offspring of the woman, which was Christ, would crush the head of the serpent, which was the Antichrist. And you notice that it was a, Satan, the, the Antichrist, 
Satan himself is allowed to strike the heel. And we do read that in the Christmas story because it says that when Herod had figured out where Jesus was born, it said he ordered all the two-year-old boys and under to be executed. We read repeatedly the assaults that came at Jesus as he ministered and finally the big assault where Jesus was tried and crucified. And it looked like his head had been crushed. But how many know being resurrected from the dead has their ways changing the whole storyline? And what you read is this. God's promises are not confined to my lifespan. I may pass away, you may pass away, and never see some of the promises God realized. But that doesn't mean that God's promises aren't true. God's promises, let me, you can trust him. If God went to all the complicated effort to bring his son into the world, handling the challenges and the issues that you and I have is nothing. Number two, what you see in the story is this, is marriage is sacred. Now, most of the times we don't really see that because we just see two people who are pledged to be married, and, uh, and then Mary turns up pregnant, and you read in the, in the Gospel of Luke account, she was really sweating that out like, this is not going to go good. I don't care if an angel does tell you you're pregnant miraculously, you still are worried about how do you relay that to the family. And what you read, and, and the other part of this that you need to know is this. Once you got engaged, okay, it was, it took a divorce. Even though you had not consummated the marriage, once you got engaged, it took legal action to call off the engagement. How many know that would cause us to take a lot of second thoughts about today? And that's why it said that he had in his mind to quietly divorce her because Calling off an engagement did require a divorce. And you notice in the story, it says his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And this as well, because of Joseph, her son was faithful to the law. There's two things here. Everybody knows that Mary was a virgin. We even just, we just let that phrase roll off of our tongue. She was, we call her the Virgin Mary. But most people don't realize is this. It says that Joseph was faithful to the law. So that means Joseph was a virgin. Hmm. And I say this. Both Jer Joseph and Mary were virgins. They kept themselves for each other and for the Lord. Why do I say that? Because right now we live in a very promiscuous society. And we're... Throwing, you know, uh, a lot of our young adults and teens and even young kids are being told those Christian values are archaic. They no longer apply. You need not worry about it. Just forget it. It's no big deal. It's, it's your business. And, it's, and listen, I'm not about taking people's personal decisions away. I believe that you have a right to make decisions, okay? We may not agree with the decision, but you actually have the right. But let me tell you something about the Christian value. Obedience to God's word positions you better to experience the activity that he has intended for your life. And because of their faithfulness, more of God's activity came to their life than other people were experiencing. God rewarded their faithfulness. And that's not to say that if we do something that we sabotage our few, that we sabotage the activity of God. Let me tell you this, I'm grateful for the fact that there's this thing called redemption. I may sabotage God's activity that he had for my life, and I can ask God for forgiveness. And he may not fulfill what he had originally intended, but he still can make something out of my life. So it's not like, oh, it's over. No, no, no. 
I love the fact that how God can redeem us from some of the poor decisions we make in life and still use us and bless us and develop. And you know what? Sometimes we may not be able to realize everything that he wanted for our life, but that doesn't mean God gave up on me. In fact, I can tell you this. God knew we were all in trouble. He died for our sins, almost saying, I know you're going to mess up, so let me just go ahead and get this over for you so I can help you. He knew that we were going to need his help. And, we, and listen, none of us in this room were born yet. Now, I know some of you think your grandparents were born then, but they weren't. God knew in 2021 that we would be making poor decisions from time to time. And God says, how about I fix that so that you can always have hope? And you can always have redemption. I don't know about you. If he hadn't have done that, this would be one messed up room tonight. But thankful he made a way. Amen? Number three is this. You notice the family is important to God. I, wrote the, I, I have this up, phrased this way for a particular reason. And I, and I realize that people, there's folks who might disagree with that. And that's fine. You have a right to disagree, but I want you to take note. When you're God, how many know you have a lot of choices? I mean, you're God. If you don't like a choice, you can always create one for yourself. Okay? So when God was bringing his son into the world, what was the house, what was the family like that God chose? Because he could have chose a lot of things, right? What did God choose for his son? God gave Jesus a male and female as a father and mother in the context of a marriage for his family. God had options, but that's what he wanted his son to be raised in. Why? Because we now have history. No civilization has been able to survive and thrive without God's design for a family as a foundation. If you would put aside some of the politicalness surrounding the family and just do a little sociological and economic history, you would find this. There, over the thousands of years, cultures have experimented with the idea of what a family should look like. It, listen, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. We're just remembering some things that got forgotten. But I'm here to tell you, every type of conceivable family unit has already been experimented with. And here's what the history has proven over and over. There is no model that is better than a husband and wife with kids. In fact, over the centuries and thousands of years, people have noted that the follow that Christians and the followers of God at the time, their economy and their sociological structure seemed to thrive. And so they started copying it without trying to adhere to the moral principles that guided it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but the family unit is an amazing thing. And see, here's here's the other part. No matter how well we try to do life, life happens. And it happened in Jesus' life. 
We don't know when it happened, but after age 12, we never hear anything about jo- or Joseph. So at some point, we know that Joseph has passed from the scene, most likely through death. And so that meant Jesus, but he also had brothers and sisters. So if you go in the scriptures, you can find the names of some of them. But he had brothers and sisters, so Mary became a single mom. Do you notice this? It did not sabotage the activity of God that he intended for her life and for her children. Life happens, but that doesn't mean it's over. God helps us to adapt so that we can continue to live in his favor. And by the way, this is one of the story's lines is this. This is one of the reasons that Jesus didn't start his ministry till 30 years of age. Because the theory is that, well, it's not just a theory. The basis of that is this. If his father passed away, he's the oldest male. In Jewish custom, he has to assume the household, and he has to assume the business, and it is his job to work until his brothers and sisters come of age. Now, if there was anybody who could tell his family, look, I'm on a mission from God. I don't have time to work carpentry to pay the bills. Do you understand? Literally, I'm on a mission from God. I'm, I'm going to change destiny. Let the other brother take the business. And yet you find strong indication Jesus waited until he was 30 years of age. Why? Because he was fulfilling family obligations. Do you see what a powerful statement that is to us about what needs to be a priority? Family. God expects us to sacrifice for our families. To make sure, listen, adults take the hit so that kids can have a future. Yeah. And here's the other part. Let me speak to the dads. In Matthew 2, verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Here's a great quote that I want to give you, dads. Dads need to live close enough to God to keep the enemy from destroying their children. Who got the dream? Joseph. Why? Because he was living next to God. And God says, your, your, your family's in trouble. And Joseph said, then we're out of here. And he, and he took his family. And I, I say this as a dad, I understand sometimes being the lead isn't the easiest. We had three kids in four years before we figured out what was causing all that. Which meant we had three teenagers. So I remember we had a senior, a junior, and a freshman. And uh, I can remember, so some of you have one teenager and you're thinking all the requests that you get, triple that. Because this one wanted to go hang out here and this one wanted to go over there and this one. And so it just seemed like all I, do, I was doing was juggling requests. And uh, some of those requests just were not good ideas. And so the stand, one of the things that I would say, no, you're not going there. No, you're not going to go hang out there. No, you're not going with them. And they would go, why? Because everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? And I had a standard answer as a dad. Because we are different. 
I'm not trying to be like everybody else. We're different. Okay? I'm not trying to make you a weird different. I'm just saying we make decisions based on a, a different set of criteria than what some other people do. And the criteria, and based on that, the answer on this one is no, you're not going. No, you're not going to be there. And then, you know, how many know that doesn't mean the game is over? It's another full court press from a different angle, right? And as they got a little older and they could absorb what, I was, what I'm going to tell you, I, I would say this. But I needed to wait for them to get a little, so they, they want to understand this. I said, you need to understand something. It's not that we're just different. I am responsible for your purity. And there's going to be a day you're going to move out. You're going to make your choices, and your purity will be your business. But while you're under this roof, your purity is my business. And I see that that person, that context, that decision could put that in jeopardy. I'm not going to do that. You will walk out of here with the best purity that I know how to give you. And I acknowledge at that point it's yours. But as a dad, that's my responsibility. You become an adult, it's on you. Your call, your choice. So dads, live close enough to God so that he tells you what's going on in the house. And all the dads said, Hey, there you go. You guys were way better than the guys in the first service there. <laughs> Number four is this. Wise men seek Christ first. This is a cliche you find all over the place. and So, so it's so cliche you almost never talk about it. Because you're like, well, everybody's heard that. and They're just going to think I drove down the road and saw it on another church sign and brought it in as a sermon point. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this because what I want you to see is the Magi put their spiritual search before their material pursuits. We believe that these Magi actually came from Persia, which is now today modern Iran. In this particular day, Persia is sort of the world university. Everybody is going to Persia to get an education and then returning back to their... Rome would send some of their best citizens over there to get educated and learn and then bring them back. It was a powerful area. And so the other part of this is this. You realize they didn't go, hey, there's a star. Somebody book a flight. It was, hey, there's a star. So they had to plan, and then they had to make this walk. It's over 400 miles. It would have taken them approximately three to four weeks, almost an entire month to get there. Another piece of this that I'm going to tell you about the Magi is, is this. We read the story, and it says they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many remember that part of the story? Did you know it never says in the story that there were three kings? We come up with that assumption just because there were three gifts. But it never says three kings. Never says three magi. Don't you just love America? Because if we want to write a song so bad, we'll change it around so that we can write the lyrics. Actually, a little background here. Magi, now we don't know this for sure, we can't, but we just know that it doesn't say three Magi typically back then would have traveled in packs of 12. So there could have been up to 12 Magi showing up at where Jesus was. 
And the other side of it is, you notice it says gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It doesn't say a gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says gifts. So we suspect that it was not just one batch of gold. It was multiple. Frankincense, multiple. So there, it appears that there were multiple gifts being given. Well, I hope I didn't ruin your Christmas. And for those who love that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to mess it up for you, but I'm, I'm just telling you it's not. And I know some of you are like, I'm going to Google this on the way home. I'm going to check the pastor out, making sure his theology is solid. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're not going to find in church tradition. I'm just telling you, if you just stay with the scripture, it never mentions three. It just says, Magi from the East. So, I could tell you more. You want to hear more about the Magi? I mean, it might upset your view of the Magi. So the Magi, first of all, they come to Jerusalem. They tell, the, they tell Herod that, he's in, in, that the baby's being born in Bethlehem. But the Magi, it never says the Magi went to Bethlehem. You said, yes, they did, because I've seen the church play, and the Magi always walk in when Jesus is in the manger. Pastor Austin quoted this tonight. It says, on coming to the house. It does not say manger. House. So we know that eight days after Jesus was born, they were required to go to the temple and do the sacrifice. So they went from Bethlehem. Eight days later, they're up to Jerusalem for the sacrifice, and then they return back to Nazareth. And we think that's where the Magi showed up. And then they get a warning not to return back, go by a different way. And simultaneously, Joseph gets the dream, says, you better get out of here because Herod's out to kill you. I hope I haven't messed your Christmas up. But it's still a phenomenal story because what you see is they, it says they got excited because the star appeared again. So when they got to Jerusalem, there was no more star, but then the star appeared again and it directed them to where the Christ was. So along with this, so, so we know these guys are learned, they're educated, they're brilliant men. And authentic education leads people to Christ because all truth is God's truth. Whether you study the earth, whether you study the stars, no matter what you study, if you are genuine and learning and watching and notation things, you suddenly start to come to the fact that no matter where you go in your research, you keep running into the creator. How did this happen? How did this come? Who put it in sync? How did it get started? And we never read that these magi were followers. By the way, I think that, can I give you another one more story on the magi? Where you've had enough, please don't mess us up anymore. Let me give you one more story. You read, you read in the book of Daniel how the, tab, the temple was destroyed and all the silver and the gold were taken to Babylon along with Daniel and his friends. And now hundreds and hundreds of years later, here come the magi from Persia, which is where Babylon is. And it says they bring gold, frankincense, they bring gold. I love it. God was refunding. And who did he give it to? His son. Because that gold came from God's house to begin with. And God says, oh, I haven't forgot what you owe me. That's my gold. But I'm going to make sure you bring it back. And give it directly to my son. You took it, but it's coming back. I love the fact that God just knows how to balance books, doesn't it? That's so why I said, he always keeps his promise. The last thing is this. 
a new race was born. You realize the Magi were Gentiles. Everybody in the day thought, the Messiah comes. He's the Jewish people's great hope. And the Jewish world is going to, ruin, uh, to rule. And the rest of this world is going to regret what they have done to us. And God brought Magi from Persia. Who were the descendants of those who stole God's gold. And God says, I'm going to let the Gentiles in on this one. Because my son didn't just come to save the Jewish people. He came to save the world. Do you understand what a great hope that is for you and me? Because most of the people in this room, you're not a Jewish descent. That to us is a defining moment. God says, where are the Gentiles? Bring them on. I want to be their hope. I want to be their light. I want to be their Savior. If you look at the scripture there, the last one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You always have the time to change your life. People talk about the judgment of God. You're right, one day it's coming, but the Bible says, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can change how judgment affects you one day. Today is the day that you can change the course of your life. And some of you under the sound of my voice, not because I know your business, just the law of averages. There's people in this room time for you to take a hard pivot start serving Jesus like the magi I'm in it for the long haul I'm going to find him I'm going to serve him I'm going to worship him I'm going to make that journey and everybody said amen but everybody bow their heads to seat before we move on with the service I want to give an opportunity for people to accept Christ and I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot, embarrass you. In fact, I'm even going to do it a little different than what I normally do in a church service. In just a second, I'm going to have everybody just say a prayer. You say, well, I've accepted Christ. Can you say it for those who need to be encouraged to say it? And you say, well, what if I'm one of those who needs to take that pivot? Let me tell you something. You're going to say that prayer, and some of you are going to be going, that's me, Jesus. I'm not going to show it because I don't want to embarrass myself in the, in, the, in the midst of everybody here today. But while we are saying that prayer, we all have an ability to have another conversation going on in our head. And the conversation will be, God, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I need to change my life. It needs to be today. So out loud, everybody together, would you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, I come to you and I'm taking responsibility for my life. I ask you to become my Savior and my Lord. You are my hope. You're the one who can change me. And I give myself to you. I receive you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.